Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to another episode. We're so happy that you're joining us today. Yes, thank you, listeners. I'm so happy that you're joining me today, Wendy. Thank you. I'm happy to be here with you. You've joined me on every one of these podcasts. Have I? Yeah. You know, I did one without you, though. Yeah, there was one that I didn't join you. (laughs) That was a long time ago, but yeah, I interviewed Jen uh, Jen Settle. Settle. That's right. Well, I've done one more ACW than ACW is short for Ask Christopher West, by the way. Yeah, than you have. Well, you just recently returned from a very nice summer trip, and I'd love for you to tell our listeners about it. I did. Our son, Isaac, who's 15, has a love of geographical regions. Does he? Geographical regions. (laughs) He does. He spends time on like... Google Maps all the time, looking up places. Yeah. And he has a love for the Adirondack Mountains in New York and the the pine trees there. Yeah, and the beautiful nature, just the, the mountains, the mountains streams. and streams, and, and particularly the pine forests. Mm-hmm. And he said to me last week, hey, could we, could we go for a little trip to the Adirondacks, which is like a six and a half hour drive? Um, and I'm not one to to love road trips. I used to as a young person. I really loved road I trips know. when I was young. I know. It went away. It went away. <laughs> it really went away. Um, but it was just this desire on his heart. And I was like, yeah, I got things to do. But okay, yes, I want to I do this for my son. So we did. And two of our sons went. And a friend uh, my age came along as well. And... I'm so glad we went. It was great. We stayed in in an, a little cottage in the Adirondack Mountains for a couple nights, and then we camped out one night. And one of my favorite things in nature is waterfalls and swimming holes. And we hit the jackpot on this trip. There was a trailhead just a mile and a half from our little cottage that was a three-mile hike to a 200-foot waterfall. And if you want to look this up, I'm sure there are videos and pictures online. It's it's called OK Slip Falls, OK Slip Falls in, um, yeah, New York State. And we hiked back there, and you get to this gorge about at the three-mile mark where you see the 200-foot waterfall across the gorge. And then if you're stupid enough like we were you can hike down the gorge which was one of the steepest hikes i've ever been on and Mm -hmm. we had our dog mandy i was a little nervous as to whether she would make it but she did okay eventually she got her way down there and we were able to stand under the gush of this 200 foot waterfall on a very hot day after a long hot hike it was awesome it was just great (laughs) and then the next day we found this glorious mountain stream with this uh yes several different swimming holes and the water was crystal clear and then the day after that on the same stream we hiked we hiked out into the woods that night and camped then the next day we we found this waterfall like a 10-foot waterfall that you could swim behind and there was a cave back there you could fit like 10 people behind this waterfall really really cool 
and a 25 foot cliff into beautiful mountain stream, 20 foot deep mountain stream swimming hole glory. It was aw- I was in my element. Loved it. You sure did. I did. I did. So happy. So I'm so glad my son <laughs> got me out of my rut of working on projects that never seemed to give up. So you just have to break away from them, which I did. And we had a, a great three day jaunt to the Adirondacks. It was. It was a little bit of nature therapy. It was. I needed it. That was great. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for those waterfalls and swimming holes and mountains. It was really beautiful. I pray that our listeners, maybe some of them hearing this, will just be inspired to go explore some nature and let that be therapy. Go do it. Break away from your projects. Leave your phone at home. Break away from your cell phone. Go out into God's creation. That was another good thing. We hardly had any cell signals. Yeah. So we were just by necessity without cell phones which was really nice yeah it's a it's a way to meet the lord to experience his love to experience his creativity his refreshment it's really awesome the sacramentality of creation there it is do you have any updates for us on the tub institute well i would encourage people to check out our full slate of Made for More events. We are going on tour this fall starting in September. And we'll have the link in the show notes to all of our Made for More events this fall. Uh, Made for More, if you're not aware of the Made for More event, it is a live event that we bring out to parishes on a weeknight. It's a, a two and a half hour event. It's not a lecture, it's an event. It's more like a night at the theater. The themes of Theology of the Body are interwoven with live music from Mike Mangione, and we have big video screens where we show clips, um, and it's it's kind of a sensual, full-body introduction to the main ideas of what it means to be human, what it means that we're male and female, what the liturgy is, what the church is, what heaven is, what the deepest ache and cry of the human heart is. It's a beautiful way of introducing a parish community to the themes of the theology of the body. So if you would be interested in bringing such an event to your area, um, yeah, you can check that out too. We'll have an email address in the show notes for our director of events, Mike Mangione. And if you don't want to look at the show notes, it's easy enough to remember events at tobinstitute.org if you want to learn more about bringing a made-for-more event to your area. What's unique about this event is it's a ticketed event, meaning it doesn't cost anything for the parish to host such an event other than time and energy promoting the event. And there's a six-month process that we take people through in selling the tickets The ticket sales go to support the global mission of the Theology of the Body Institute, enabling us to do this work. So it's a win-win, win for the parish, doesn't cost the parish anything, and it benefits the spread of Theology of the Body around the world. And there's something else about a ticketed event. For years and years, when I would, you know, do my speaking tours and come out into the parishes, they would pay a, a, a modest stipend for my event and for the travel, et cetera. They'd cover that. Um, and, you know, we were averaging 250 to 350 people 
when we when we did it in that way. But with this ticketed model and the process we bring people through, this was pre-COVID. It's a little different since COVID, but pre-COVID, we were averaging between 800 and 1,000 people at these events. So we're picking that pace up again. Uh, since we've been out on the road post-COVID, we're averaging about four to 500 people at these events, but we're, we're expecting this fall and into the spring of 2023 we'll be back to the 800 to 1000 mark in terms of attendance. So it's it's there's something about people paying $25 for a ticket where they get invested and they they come and it creates a whole kind of excitement in the parish that people want to be part of it. Hmm. So it's a great way to introduce introduce your parish community to the themes of theology of the body. You can check out where we're going to be if we're going to be in your area this fall. Please come out and see us. If you want to bring us to your area, maybe in the spring or later in 2023, please be in touch with our director of events to learn more about bringing one of these events to your area. That's great. I, I'm ready to ask you a question Very good. from a patron. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. This is from Christy. Hello, Christy. Thank you so much for your support of our work. We're so grateful to you. I read a post online somewhere that referenced Genesis 1.27 in this way. Male and female, he created them, with the implication that humans are not male or female, but that all humans are both male and female. I'm aware that the devil can twist the scripture and distort the truth, but this one cut to the core. I could use some wise words to combat this notion. I need a step-by-step -step logic ladder to lead my high school classroom, especially the skeptics, out of this hole. What is the best route to help students use Scripture as their foundation, but not misinterpret and misconstrue this particular passage? Sure. I think the first step in properly reading Scripture is to read it with the mind of the church, right? The Holy Bible is a Catholic book. We have to reclaim that truth. It's a Catholic book. It was assembled by the Catholic Church. It's properly understood and read by the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church has never, ever understood Genesis 1.27 as uh, some kind of androgynous declaration. Christ himself refers to this passage in his discussion with the Pharisees when they come to him with questions about the meaning of marriage and divorce. And Jesus says, haven't you read that in the beginning God made them male and female? Male and female here does not mean one person is at the same time male and female as if gender were somehow fluid. Uh, male and female means the human race exists as male and as female. You're one or the other. That's what that means. And even in the case of, in our fallen world, let, let us acknowledge, there, there are sometimes, very, very rarely, but it does exist, that someone could be born with uh, ambiguous genitalia. 99.999% of the time, science can tell us at the chromosomal level 
whether that child is male or female, right? Uh, in the very, very rare cases where even the chromosomes are confused, uh, that can be difficult. But this is the result of being in a fallen world, right? So is any other birth defect. There are people born blind. There are people born without limbs. To all of these things, we can respond, in the beginning, it was not so, right? That's, those are the words of Jesus. In the beginning, it was not so. Why is there confusion in this fallen world? Why are some people born blind? Why are some people born deaf? Why are some people born with ambiguous genitalia? Why are some people born without limbs? Well, the church speaks of the mystery of iniquity, the mystery of suffering. These are things that don't have a simple answer, but we do know that God allows them to bring about a greater glory. Remember the scene in the gospel where people come to Jesus with a blind man, and they're trying to figure out why this man is blind, and they want to blame it on somebody. He's a sinner. No, 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 his parents were sinners. That's why he's born blind. And Jesus says, it's not either of these, neither of these, the man or the, the parents, their sinfulness is not the cause of his blindness. This man was born blind to reveal the glory of God. How so? Let us not forget that this earthly existence is not our only reality. We are destined for the resurrection of our bodies and life everlasting. Can I get an? Amen. Amen. This is our creed, right? The Apostles' Creed, the final line. We believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Amen. This is our destiny. And in this destiny, in the resurrection of our bodies, right? Heaven's not going to be some merely spiritual reality. In the final reality of the world and the new heavens and the new earth, we will be bodily just as we are here, but our bodies will be glorified. And this means this means the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will leap, and those with ambiguous genitalia will no longer have ambiguous genitalia. The male or the female, the man or the woman that God always saw them as will be fully revealed, mm. right? So we must read Scripture from Genesis to Revelation with the mind of the church. Those who want to take the words of Scripture and twist and distort for some other agenda are, are really disingenuous, right? They're, they're, not, they're not really concerned with seeking the truth and adhering to the truth. They come with their preconceived ideas, and then they try to twist Scripture to conform to their twisted ideas. All that said, I hope this doesn't throw a wrench in things, but I, I want to try to unfold a certain element of truth here that is, even amidst the, the widespread confusion in the world, there are certain elements of truth that are in the mix or have gotten twisted up, right? That's all the enemy can do. He, he takes the true, the good, and the beautiful. He gets his hands on God's clay and twists that clay up, right? So here's a certain truth. Although we are male or female, each male is a marriage, so to speak, of what we could call the masculine and the feminine principles. Not male or female principles, but masculine and feminine, right? Male or female refers to biology, but masculine and feminine is something broader than biology, right? 
And each female, if she's properly integrated as a female, she is a marriage of sorts of the masculine and feminine principles within, right? So there's a real truth when, when we talk of a man and his feminine side, or there's a real truth when we talk of a woman and her masculine side. There is meant to be this profound unity within each human being of those masculine and feminine principles. And in this world, when we don't live that integrated reality of those masculine and feminine principles, a, a male, a, a, a male who, who may have a, a hypersensitivity on that feminine side would wrongly think, and in the world, the world today encourages them to think, well, that means you're really a woman trapped in a man's body. <clears throat> Not true. Or we could just flip it and say a woman or a girl who's particularly in touch with that masculine dimension of her own humanity, the world's going to say, well, that means you're a man trapped in a woman's body. No, it means you're in touch with something that God put there, and you're meant to be in touch with it, but it's meant to be integrated, right? When the masculine and feminine principles are properly integrated in me, I will live in integrated maleness. When those masculine and feminine principles are properly integrated in you, Wendy, you will live, or to the degree that they are properly integrated, you will live an integral femaleness. Mm. So, yeah, I'm just saying that to, to recognize there are there's a certain truth that gets skewed or twisted up in the world, and and that also helps us to affirm those elements of truth in the culture, but call them to the fullness of truth. Mm hmm. Just so struck that, you know, isn't it interesting that this um, post referenced Genesis one twenty seven, which is one of the very first scriptures that is really expounded upon in theology of the body. Right. And here, that's what we're here to talk about is theology of the body. And when we look at the audiences, the teachings of Pope John Paul II, he goes to the very scene you're talking about where Jesus quoted this very scripture. So I really think that that scene in the gospel where Jesus is quoting the scripture, he's talking about how, you know, he's faced with people who say these male-female relationships are really hard. Marriage yep. is really hard. Yep. Well, isn't that what we're saying today too? Yep. Or you know, we're confused. This doesn't make sense. And, and Jesus himself is answering those deep questions. And he uses that phrase, hardness of heart. Yes. Hardness of heart is a sign that we're fallen because if God really loves us, which he does, and we're really made to receive that love, which we are, if we were in that place of loving and being loved, our hearts would not be hard. It's that all that the evil one has sown in our understanding of God, our distrust of God, that equals hardness of heart. So I think all of that is so helpful to this person who wants to teach on this topic. Yeah, and you're thinking right in line with John Paul II, Wendy. He himself says, if Jesus were walking the earth today, and was receiving all of the questions that men and women have about the meaning of our creation uh, and disputes and angry 
uh, thoughts and, and, you know, all the stuff that, that wells up in the human heart when it comes to questions of gender and sexuality and morality. John Paul II says, faced with those questions, the questions of today, Jesus would give the same answer that he gave to the Pharisees. He would point us back to the beginning. And this is the blueprint of our humanity. And anything that, that goes off from that blueprint, male and female, he created them. Not a blurring, uh, not an androgyny, but we are either male or female. And both reveal in different ways the mystery of the image of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them, and he said, be fertile, right? Let's make this point loud and clear. One of the main goals of all of this blurring of the gender distinction, and one of the main goals of all of this notion of gender fluidity, you know what the end result is? Sterility, right? A, a man who, who tries to reconform his body into that of a woman can only do so in a very external, surfacey way. You can never turn the kind of being that generates sperm into the kind of being that generates ova, right? You can never turn the kind of being, a woman, that generates ova into the kind of being that generates sperm, right? And, and the, the end result here in all of this gender fluidity and, and uh, trans, you know, gender trans by this and crazy that, forgive me, I can't even, the terms that people used it, I can't even keep track of them all. <laughs> I can't keep them straight in my head. Uh, I'm not trying to be flippant here. I'm trying to, to, to point out the nonsense of this and the deception that we have fallen into. It is impossible, biologically, ontologically, anthropologically impossible to turn a man into a woman or to turn a woman into a man. It cannot happen because men are the kind of beings, this is the very meaning of the word gender, right? Look at the root of the word gender. It shares the same root as words like generous, generate, progeny, genealogy, genetics. Gender means, before the modern world deconstructed its meaning, the very word gen, that root, means to produce or give birth to. Thus, gender has always meant, until the modern world, the manner in which you generate new life, right? And men generate new life with sperm, women generate new life with ova. You can't turn someone who generates with sperm into someone who generates with ova. It's impossible. The end result of all of this is sterility. The end result of all of this, to say it another way, is to attack the image of God in our humanity. Male and female, he created them. In the image and likeness of God, he made them and he blessed them, and he said, be fertile. Make no mistake, there is an enemy after our fertility, because our fertility reveals brilliantly and gloriously the image and likeness of God. God is not sexual, but for all eternity, the Father is generating the Son to share with the Son the love of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if we answer, answered that question uh, that Christy provided, but um, I hope we've given you some food for thought, Christy. I think so. Bless you, bless you. Our next question is from a listener named Trevin. Hello, Trevin. That's an interesting name. I like it. 
now Trevin at the end of his question, I'm just I'm just giving our listeners and Trevin a warning. He said something that I moved to the beginning. So I'm going to read it okay. first. This is his comment from the end because I thought it was cute. Trevin says, you're a beautiful man and I love you and all the work you do, Christopher. I can never be grateful enough. Thank you. And thank you too, Wendy, for being a great host and also for picking this question, if you do. <laughs> That's the part I thought was cute. So you're welcome, Trevin. Trevin, I receive. Thank you, brother. Thank you. I, I really, that blesses me to hear. I'm so yeah. glad that the work that we do here has, has blessed you, brother. That's true. Trevin says, I watched the video on your recent trip to the Rodin Museum, and you mentioned that we have to learn to liturgize the body. I've been reflecting on this and want to share some thoughts. We say that the body is the temple of God, and apparently in the Old Testament, the temple was considered feminine. The man being the priest in a sexual act quite literally enters the temple of the female body and gives his offering, which God accepts and may then bless the couple with a child. This line of thought supports or makes sense of a few things. The tight link between priesthood and yes. fatherhood. Yes. Also that contraception is wrong yes. because it makes impossible for God to accept the offering and that desecrates the act. Trevin, you're on it, brother. My question is, am I on the right track with these thoughts? <laughs> yes, yes. And, ding, 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 ding. Yes, yes, yes. And if I am, there's the temple, the priest, and the offering. Where's the altar? And also, how does circumcision factor into any oh of this? Oh, my gosh. He's going for it. All right, Trevin. <laughs> the altar is the marriage bed. This is this is deep in in the Catholic understanding, both of the sacrament of marriage, and of the sacrament of the Eucharist. John yeah. Paul II says that the Eucharist is the sacrament of the bridegroom and of the bride. This is where the marriage between Christ and the Church is consummated in the Eucharist. Where where does it happen? It happens at the altar. What does the priest do? The priest, you're absolutely right, the priest is the bridegroom. Where is the symbol of the bride in the Mass? Well, it's the church, it's the congregation is the bride, but right at the altar, at the act of consecration, the bridegroom carries the chalice, which is veiled at this point, to the altar. Here we have the bridegroom carrying the veiled bride to the marriage bed. And then the bridegroom unveils that symbol of the bride. Do you know where we get the word chalice? We get the word chalice from calyx. And the calyx of a flower is the, the, those little green leaves under the petals the, is called the calyx, and the, the calyx is what opens the petals of the flower. Why is the flower a feminine symbol? And have you ever noticed that a chalice looks like a flower with its petals opened? 
Well, let's keep pressing in here. What do we put on the altar? We put wheat, uh, crushed and baked, known as bread, and we put grape juice, right? We take the grape of the flowering grapevine, and by the way, the grape is the ovary of the flowering grapevine. We crush it, we ferment it, we put the juice in a chalice, right? What is bread? Bread is the, I'm not making this up, look it up. Bread is the crushed endosperm of the flowering wheat plant, right? Endosperm means seed within the seed, right? We take the seed within the seed, we crush it, we bake it, we put it on the altar. We put it on the altar next to these fermented ovaries of the flowering grapevine, right? We put this on the altar, and how does a flower reproduce, right? The flower is, is the reproductive organ of the plant. Well, I, I'm not a botanist here. I don't know all the details of it, but I do know that the dewfall is critical, that moisture is critical to the reproductive process of the flower. What does the priest say over the open flower of the chalice and over this, the bread and the wine? He says, let the Holy Spirit come upon these gifts like the dewfall. What's happening here? Grace is perfecting nature. Grace is perfecting nature's reproductive process. Grace is perfecting nature's fertility. And nature's fertility, through this perfection of grace, becomes the fertility of Mary's womb at the altar. Now, this is so mysterious. This is so rich. This is so deep. And I've kind of, kind of gotten caught up in what I'm explaining here, so much so that I forget what the question was. <laughs> what, what was the? What, am I answering his question? I don't even know. What well, was he, he did say, about? "Where is the altar?" And I, I do think oh, there's yeah, yeah, yeah. a tiny bit more you could say about the altar in yeah, the marriage yeah. okay. bed. Okay, okay, yeah, right. Where's the altar? The well, the altar in marriage, in the offering of the husband and wife, is the marriage bed, and in the in the Eucharist, the the altar itself. It can be understood as a marriage bed. It goes both ways. Think of, in a, in a traditional Catholic church, you have over the altar what's called the baldacchino. I'm picturing right now the baldacchino in my, my home parish. I grew up at Sacred Heart Parish in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It had this beautiful baldacchino over the altar. You might want to th uh, think of the baldacchino It's sort the, of like a canopy. Yeah, a canopy. Uh, think of the, the canopy over the high altar at St. Peter's Basilica. Mm -hmm. That's probably the most famous example of a baldacchino. What is the baldacchino? It is, it is the, the, the tent, if you will, the canopy that goes over a traditional Jewish marriage bed. Uh, this has come right in from the Old Testament into the symbolism of the Catholic liturgy. That baldacchino is the reminder that what's happening at the altar is the consummation of a mystical marriage, and nature's fertility is part of it. Do you know, in fact, what is carved into the four pillars of the Baldacchino at St. Peter's Basilica in Rome? Tell us. Tell us. Do you know, Wendy? No, I forget. I'm well, sure I've heard, but I don't remember. I'm, yeah, I'm sure I've told you this. <laughs> it's okay that you forget. Thanks. I tell you lots of things. You do. So carved into the four pillars of the Baldacchino 
in St. Peter's and Basilica, first you have bees pollinating flowers, and secondly, you have a woman in the stages of labor. Wow, what's going on here? And why, why in the rubrics of the liturgy does the church prescribe candles made of beeswax? Because all, all of these symbols, the, all of the, remember Jesus says, pay attention to the way the wildflowers grow? Mm -hmm. He's not just bidding us to be better botanists. Mm -hmm. He's luring us into loving the liturgy. Grace perfects nature. You can't, you don't know what the liturgy is if you don't know how flowers reproduce. It's all related. The birds, the bees, the flowers, and the trees, all of nature's fertility comes to fulfillment in the nuptials of the altar where Christ, the bridegroom, offers his body for his bride and the most fertile nuptial embrace of the cosmos is consummated, and all the children of God are born again through these mystical nuptials of Christ and the church. This, as Paul says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, the two will become one flesh, and then he adds, this is a mega mystery, and it refers to Christ and the church. I know that you and Trevin probably could have long oh, conversations. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Trevin, you're on it. And I'm sure there are plenty of listeners who are with you as well. But there could also be some who go, that my mind is kind of spinning and I'm not sure this is helping me kind of <laughs> <laughs> reality. And I just want to take a little step back. And I, I appreciate Trevin, first of all, watching your video about the Rodin Museum. And, oh, yeah, this is on our YouTube channel, by the way. We, we, I just should have put that in yeah. context. We went, the team of the Theology of the Body Institute a couple months ago went to the Rodin Museum in Philadelphia, and we did a little video about it, which you can, well, we'll put the link in the show notes. How about that? And uh, also just taking time to reflect and, and really, you know, letting the light shine on some of the bodily connections with liturgy and the ancient Jewish traditions. It's all so beautiful. And for anybody who just went like, I'm kind of overwhelmed by all of this. I just want to come back to like that sweet question of what's the altar just really struck me in terms of if we can just take a deep breath and go like, this is a sacred space mm, mm. where, where intimate healing love is Glory. being communicated. Preach it, Wendy. Okay, that's that's what that is. It's a sacred space where intimate healing love is being communicated. And that, I think, can just kind of like bring a certain peace if the brain is going a little crazy with you know too many of right now? bits of information. <laughs> I'm thinking of a student who years ago <laughs> came up to you and said, Wendy, Oh, I think I know what you're going to yeah, say. Yes, go ahead. You can finish it. <laughs> Christopher's like a, a helium balloon. He's just going to float away. You have to hold on to that string. <laughs> so Keep him down. <laughs> this is what Wendy's doing right now. She's holding the string of the helium balloon so I don't float away. And so that the listeners don't get totally confused by my theological ramblings. Oh, it's all good. <laughs> Thank you, Wendy. Sure. Next question is from Rachel. 
Hey, Rachel. Um, okay. Rachel says, I'm a new mom and I'm thankful to be able to breastfeed my baby. It's amazing how God designed my body and my babies to work together yes, in this way. Yes, it is way. amazing. Glory. Naively, I did not realize that breastfeeding, although rewarding, would also be somewhat strenuous and sometimes painful. What are your thoughts on the TOB dimensions of breastfeeding? Oh, my goodness. Well, there's a doctoral dissertation for you. I could go on and on and on and on and on. It's so rich. Um, wow. Well, let, let's let's begin. Remember, grace perfects nature. So let's just look at the natural reality. And then, Wendy, you'll have plenty to share here as a, a mom who nursed five babies. Mm-hmm. Let's just look at the natural reality. What What is the purpose of the mammary gland? Right? The, the biological function of the mammary gland is to transform blood into food. Mm. Astounding. Pause, pause. That's enough to, to send us into deep contemplation right there. Mm-hmm. Where did Jesus get the idea that his blood could be transformed into food? I mean, of course, Jesus is God, and God designed the breast, so God already knows that blood can be transformed into food. But, you know, in in Christ's humanity, he also needed to learn things, and, you know, he needed to learn language. Um, He's the omnipotent God who humbles himself so much that he, he needs to learn things. So in his human nature... As an infant at the breast, he was learning Mm. that blood can become food. Uh, I want to, this is maybe an aside, but it's certainly related. I just spoke a moment ago of the mammary gland. Well, guess where we get the word mama, right? One of the most affectionate terms for a mother. Breasts are so much a part of what motherhood is that one of the most affectionate terms we have in our language for what a mother is, mm. is breast. And that's what mama, that's what the name mama means. It means breast, right? That's where we get mammary glands. That's where we get the word mammals, right? Mammals are breasted animals. Uh, mama, mama, let that, let that word in all of its tenderness and all of its affection and in, it, in the intimate reality that it conjures up in the true sense of the word, mama, breastfeeding, the mama who gives her flesh and gives her blood, gives her milk for the life of that baby, let that word mama sink in at a deeper and deeper level. And we can also talk here, we're talking about blood, we're talking about the mammary gland transforming blood into milk. Blood, of course, in the biblical vision of things, is, is intertwined with sacrifice. Which reminds me, I never addressed Trevin's question about circumcision. That's true. Sorry, Trevin. Um, there is another episode in which we get into that. There is. 
Wendy's saying, don't get into that right now, I think. Stay on track. Stay here. on stay on target. <laughs> stay on target. <laughs> Can't I just say a little bit no, about no, circumcision? No. We're talking to Rachel okay, right we're now. We're talking to Rachel now. <laughs> okay. Trevin, I'm sorry, brother. The whole circumcision thing is awesome. You're just gonna have to look up on another episode where we talk about it. It's really awesome. And you're on it. Keep thinking about it. Okay. Rachel, back to Rachel. Um, blood, breast, milk, sacrifice. And you're talking about the suffering involved in in breastfeeding your baby. Wendy, I'll leave it to you to talk more about that specifically if you want to share anything from your own experience. Mm. But intertwined with breastfeeding is certainly, yes, some level of great pleasure. Uh, There's a a joy, even a kind of euphoria that that can come from breastfeeding, so I've heard, Um, but also a sacrifice. And, And this is part of the mystery of Christianity, the agony and the ecstasy go together. And we don't like that because we're fallen and we don't like to suffer. But saint after saint after saint tells us that the more we come to embrace suffering, we come also to taste deep joys of union with Jesus that otherwise would not have been opened to us. Mm. So I think there's that connection going on as well. I'm going to pass it to you, Wendy. You can speak with experience here. I can relate to so much that Rachel's saying here, Um, although rewarding, also strenuous, sometimes painful. All of those things are true Um, for me and my experience. And I think of... Oh, clogged ducks. I'm so sorry. I'm just remembering your clogged ducks. Rachel, I hope you haven't had any of those. Oh, mercy. That was brutal. (laughs) I'm sorry, Wendy. That was Uh, so rough. Well, that's all. It's all a result of the fall. In the beginning, it was not so. They were cracked nipples. Mercy God. In in the beginning, there were no clogged ducks. (laughs) So, yeah, that's some of the challenge. Um, But honestly, like just thinking about the the beauty it is to have your the meaning of your body realized how about Mm, that mm, you know the meaning of a breast which is so attractive to a baby they look for it from birth and which is so comforting and nourishing and which gives the mother such joy at this perfect distance just to gaze on her Mm. amazing baby and have that flood of love and profound commitment like the just sense of utter commitment to that person that is communicated there in that time of feeding is just so powerful we're talking powerful but there's certainly in theology of the body where we often talk about the body reveals that we're meant to be a gift and we've ex- you know you've already experienced that in your as a wife be, giving yourself to your husband here is also being a gift to your children you've given your children your womb and now this baby you're giving your breasts to feed so there's a deep and profound sense of being connected to like the meaning of life here mm, mm. for you and for the baby and for the baby's father seeing and witnessing and supporting this because 
he does have to support it. You know, it it's inconvenient, it involves sacrifice for him at times as well. You know, that you are the one that feeds the baby, that the baby has the need of you means he has to sacrifice sometimes his time with you. So all of that is just a beautiful image of loving as Christ loves. And yes, it does unfortunately involve different kinds of suffering at times, but I think, and I certainly don't want anyone to think that it's like, well, you just have to power through all kinds of suffering. Certainly you can seek help for things that are causing suffering. I never want to go down that path where it sounds like I think I don't care if something causes you suffering, that that's somehow just to be accepted. Not always. I mean, right. there could be some kind of remedies. Yes. That's important to for me to just mention that. But that even when the, the sacrifice is hard, that we are drawing near to the Lord and maybe we experience a certain amount of weakness. I don't feel I can do it. That could be in anything that the Lord is calling us to, breastfeeding and every other aspect of parenting, that there's a, it's okay to know that you are needy, that even as you're nursing, breastfeeding this needy child, that you yourself can also open up the need of your heart to the Lord and just ask Him to work through you when you feel weak or tired or in other ways not up to all the tasks that are before you, that that's also a gift yes, to open yes. ourselves to our Creator, to know we're not God. We can't do everything and to admit that and let His love enter in just as your love is entering your baby. I'm reminded of that scripture verse where St. Paul says, we overcome evil with good. And there is so much evil aimed at woman's body and in a very particular way at her breasts in this pornographic world where we don't even know what breasts are for anymore. You know, I've read of these stories where, um, you know, breastfeeding mothers are ushered out of the Walmart or the Target. And yet, if you go through the checkout line at these stores, you're going to be bombarded with magazine covers with, with I call, you know, I call it cleavage aisle. We're calling good evil and, and evil good. Mm. Um, so I'm just thinking of this, this beautiful reality of Rachel overcoming that evil attack against women's breasts in the world simply by doing what is true, good, and beautiful with her breasts, feeding her child. That that is like a grace bomb. Every mm. mom out there who's nursing her child, that's like a grace bomb going out into the world, overcoming evil with good. And I'm thinking there are probably listeners out there who are uneasy uh, with a conversation about breasts because of all of this evil that has shaped and formed the way we conceive of a woman's body. We overcome evil with good, and we can declare with Scripture, blessed is the womb that bore him, and blessed are the breasts from which Jesus sucked milk. It's right in the Scripture. Let If you have this, uh, this kind of ambivalence towards woman's breasts, or there's need for healing there because of the way the culture or your family may have formed or shaped you to think, I invite you to enter into that Scripture. Blessed is the womb that bore him. 
Blessed are the breasts from which he sucked milk. We overcome evil with good. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. If you have been blessed uh, by this episode, we invite you to share it with others who might also be blessed by it. We want you to know that you have blessed us simply by listening. It's a joy to be in this together with you. Uh, You're in our thoughts. You're in our prayers. We love you. Please keep us in your thoughts and in your prayers. And know that you are an unrepeatable gift of life and love. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.